How many of you have ever signed a contract in your life? Yeah, maybe a contract to, to buy a car or lease an apartment or a contract to purchase a house. Maybe you signed a contract for an athletic or academic scholarship to go to college. Maybe it was a contract to a business, an employment deal. Maybe it was a confidentiality agreement. Maybe it was something you were signing a contract for with a friend to agree to do something together. Think about it for a moment, maybe the last contract that you signed. What was the purpose? What are the purposes or what's the purpose of a contract? Well, if you think about it, a contract, sort of simply put, is designed to establish or define a relationship between two parties and spell out the responsibilities that both are agreeing to. So if you, if you sign a lease for an apartment, that's establishing a relationship between you and the apartment owner, and it's spelling out the responsibilities, what they're agreeing to do and what you're agreeing to do. And if you think about contracts for a little bit more, they give you a sense of peace when you sign them. For example, if you're signing a contract to do construction work for someone, up until the point in which the contract is signed, there can be level of insecurity. Will they give this job to someone else? Will I need to have to find other work to put into this slot that I have been reserving for this client? But once the contract is signed, a level of the insecurity goes away and there can be some amount of peace that goes with the signing of the contract. A contract can also start you on a journey. If you've signed a contract for an academic scholarship to go to college, you do that at the beginning of your college years, not at the end. And that contract defines the relationship between the school, what's the school agreeing to do, what are you agreeing to do, and that governs your relationship and it begins you on a journey in connection with that university. Now I mention all of this because this morning we are closing out our series on the book of Hebrews. And as we turn and look at the last sort of major verses in the book of Hebrews, we're going to find that it talks about contract, specifically our contract with God. The contract that if you're a believer in Jesus, you have a contract between you and God that establishes the relationship. If you're not yet a believer in Jesus, if you don't yet have a contract establishing a relationship with God, we are going to look at the contract that God is offering to you today. So please take a Bible and turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. I know I say this every week. It's important for you to open up a Bible, but this week it's especially important. So if you ignore me every other week, this week, just in the rack in front of you or underneath your seat, grab one of these and turn to page 977. 977. See, we're going to be talking about contracts and contracts you want to read. 
You want to make sure that you understand the wording of the contract. And so I don't want you to just listen. I want you to read it for yourself. So please, take one of these Bibles, turn to page 977, Hebrews chapter 13. I'm going to read verses 20 and 21. Hebrews 13, verses 20 to 21. Now may the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now look at that passage, and do you see that word covenant? Do you see the word covenant? That's the word for contract. That's a, covenant's just a sort of Bible word or an ancient Near Eastern word for the idea of a contract. And Hebrews 13 is making reference to the contract that humans can have with God that's already been mentioned earlier in the book. And in just a minute, we're going to turn back and look at it again. Kind of as a way of closing out this series, we're going to review again just one more time to make sure we understand the terms of the contract. But before we turn back and do that, I want you to notice that verse 20 begins with the God of peace. Now I mentioned that when you sign a contract, there is a sense of peace that comes from having that relationship established and defined. For example, if you're a teacher, and you're getting ready to enter into the summer season. You know, the students, teachers, everybody's excited for the summer. But if you're a teacher and you don't have a contract signed for next year, there can be some level of a lack of peace. Now, you may not think about it every day of the summer, but without that contract, you don't know exactly what you're going to get paid next year. You don't know exactly what your health benefits might be. And until that contract is signed, there's a level of sort of uncertainty and a level of a lack of peace. The same is true if you're here and you don't have a contract with God. You may not think about it every day, but from time to time, there is going to be this sense of a lack of peace. How is life going to work? What is my relationship with God? What's going to happen when I die? The contract is designed to bring peace with God. Same thing is true if you are a Christian, but you've forgotten the terms of the contract or you're not living out your requirements of the contract. That can bring a level of lack of peace. And so we're going to review the terms of the contract. If you haven't signed it yet, you need to understand this because I want you to sign it. If you have signed the contract, it's good to review the terms again to make sure that we are living in accordance with them and understand exactly what it is that governs our relationship with God. So with that in mind, turn back just a couple of pages to Hebrews chapter 10. Now this is the part where I really want you to see it for yourself. So that's page 973, Hebrews chapter 10. 
We've already been through this material in Hebrews, but as a way of closing the series, we wanted to kind of review, because when Hebrews 13 says the blood of the eternal contract or eternal covenant, it's referencing what's mentioned in Hebrews 10. So we're going to go back to Hebrews 10 and just review one more time exactly what it says. Now in Hebrews 10, verses 5 through 14, we have a description of how we got a contract. What it says is, God sent his son Jesus, who is himself God, but the father asked Jesus to become a human, and Jesus entered this world as a human with the mindset or attitude, I've come to do your will, O Lord. He showed up with the attitude of, I'm here to obey the Father. In that obedience, God asked Jesus to give his life as a sacrifice on a cross for our sins. Jesus, in obedience, died on that cross. God raised him from the dead. And right now, Jesus is seated at God's right hand in heaven. And Hebrews 10, 5 through 14, tells us that story because it's important to know how we got this contract. You see, if you walk into an auto dealer and you're going to finance a car, when they place a contract before you, you didn't write the contract. You didn't prepare the financing. Somebody else had to do that stuff in order for there to be something for you to sign. Likewise, if you're a teacher, you're not the one writing your con a contract with the school board. The union is negotiating that, and the school board and the union are working back and forth to make the provisions available. What's your salary going to be? Those sorts of things. Then the contract is given to you to sign. If you've received a scholarship to go to university, you didn't make the funds available for that scholarship. You didn't write the contract. Somebody else did that and did whatever was necessary to make the provisions available so you could sign that contract. That's what Hebrews is saying. In just a minute, we haven't looked at the contract yet. In just a minute, we're going to look at the contract, but what Hebrews 10 wants us to know is we didn't write the contract, you and I. God wrote it. And God needed to make, in order for him to do his part in the contract, he had to make certain provisions available. Jesus becoming a human, dying on a cross, being raised from the dead, is God doing the work behind the scenes so that the contract can be offered to us. So the provisions we're going to look at are only possible because of what Jesus did for us. And so Hebrews 10 says, look, this isn't just made up on a whim. God did everything necessary to be able to offer to us this morning the contract we're about to look at. All of that gets us ready for the contract itself. All right, are you ready? It's in verses 16 and 17 of Hebrews 10. This is the part you got to look and read because you've got to read it for yourself. You know, they tell you, read contracts very carefully. We're going to read this together very carefully. Verse 16. This is the covenant, and here's contract. This is the contract 
I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. So this is God speaking. This is the contract he's offering. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. That's the contract, okay? Do you see it for yourself? There's not more to it that I'm skipping. There's not like footnotes and other things. God says, here's the contract. It has two provisions, or I guess you could say for the lawyers in the audience, considerations that God is uh, mentioning here in verses 16 and 17. We're going to look at those. Consideration number one, or the first provision of the contract. God says, I will put my laws in their hearts. I will write them on their minds. What essentially God is saying in the contract, this is, this is the language of the contract. I will be your God and you will be my people. I will place within you a heart to obey me. Remember, when Jesus came, he came with the attitude of, I'm here, Lord, to do your will. Not my will, but your will. God is saying in the contract, that's what I'll do for you. I will place within you a heart that wants to obey me. I will place within you a heart not to sort of follow outward rules and regulations, but a heart that actually wants to obey God, a heart that wants to think about things the way God thinks about things. He's promising to make you like Jesus. Now, if you don't want to be like Jesus, if you don't want to obey God, if you don't want to live out God's will, don't sign this contract. Okay, do you see that's what it says will happen? This is what God is promising to do. And if you don't like that provision, if you don't like that idea, if you say, well, I want to do my own thing. I want to think about things my own way. I'm not interested in how God wants me to live. I'm not interested in becoming a person who's pleasing to God. Don't sign this contract because the first provision of the contract is, I will transform you. Not immediately, but over time, God says, I'm going to change you from the inside out. I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to help you to think about things the way I think about things. I'm going to help you to become a beautiful, gracious, strong person in the power of the Spirit. I'm going to give you honor and bestow favor upon you. I'm going to pour out blessings on you because I'm going to transform you so that you will look more and more and more like Jesus. Less selfish, more sacrificial. Less angry, more gracious. Less harsh, more merciful. If you don't want that, don't sign the contract. Because this contract, God is saying, that's what I'm going to do. That's the first provision. Second, verse 17, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Now again, look, you're reading it here with me, right? I'm not making this up, right? These are the words of the contract. The second provision is God says, what I'm bringing to the table, remember contracts establish relationships and then define what the different parties are going to do. God's saying what I'm bringing to the table is, I will remember your sins no more. So all the junk that you've done, all the sin, all the disobedience, all the ugliness, all the mistakes, all the, all the stuff in your life, God's saying, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to forgive it all. I'm going to erase it all. And I'm going to remember it no more. Now look, I didn't, this is, I didn't write this contract. 
okay? I'm, I'm your lawyer explaining to you the terms of the contract, okay? The terms are, God is saying, I will remember them no more. Now, here's the crazy thing. If there was a period of your life where you did not treat your spouse very well, according to this covenant, according to this contract, God is saying, I'm going to take that period in which you did not treat them the way I wanted you to treat them, and I'm going to remember it no more. It will be gone. And the crazy thing is, you might remember that period, but God won't. And if you say to God, um, yes, I know, but when I was 25 years old, he's going to say, I don't know what you're talking about. You see that, right? I will remember them no more. Not just I'll pay for them. I will remember them no more. They're gone. And if you ask God, God, you, you remember when I had that abortion? God, you remember when I was unfaithful? God, you remember? No. I don't know what you're talking about. I do not remember what you're talking about. Now, listen, that's why I'm saying don't take my word for it. Are you reading it right here? Amen. You're seeing it. I will remember them no more. This is why 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, if, if we confess... No, 1 John 1, 9. Back, there you go. If we confess our sins, so we, meaning people who are Christians who've signed the contract, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say if we confess our sins, he is merciful and kind. Do you see that? It doesn't say that because him forgiving our sins is his legal obligation. He's contractually bound to do it. That's why we use contractual language, faithful and just, justice. He's saying he must do this. That if you confess your sins, he will remember them no more. They will be gone for you. And when he does that, he won't just be merciful and kind. Now, he is merciful and kind. But when he forgives your sins, he's simply living up to the terms of the contract that we signed. Do everybody see that's the terms? Those are the two things God is saying I'm going to bring to the table. When we talk about the relationship, God is saying, I will transform you and I will forgive you. Of everything you've done, everything you are doing, everything you will do, I will transform you and forgive you. That's the considerations, that's the provisions that are in the contract. Do you see any others? Did I miss any? If you keep reading, do you see more? Oh yeah, by the way, sub point B, part A. Do you see anything else? Is it just say those two things? Yes. yes. This is the contract. Here's the two things. But what about our part? What about what we're going to bring to the table? That's what God says he's bringing to the table. What about what we're going to bring to the table? Okay, well, you'll notice there's no more language here for the contract. And so verses 16 and verse 17, they're not really specifically addressing us. But there is something implicit in verses 16 and 17 that as I try to think how best to sort of explain this, I kind of went on the internet looking for contracts to kind of see if I could find an example that might help this. And I had been thinking about the whole teacher idea. And I found a sample paragraph from a sample contract for the Houston uh, internet, uh, Independent School District. So this sample paragraph, I think, kind of helps explain 
what our requirements are according to verses 16 and 17. This is what the sample contract for a teacher in Houston says. It is understood and agreed by the parties to this contract that the superintendent of schools or designee of the district shall have the right to assign such duties to the employee as the superintendent of schools or designee shall deem proper. Because the employee is not employed to fill a specific position or assignment, the employee shall at any time be subject to assignment and reassignment of positions or duties, additional duties, changes in responsibilities, or work, transfers or reclassifications anytime for which the employee is professionally certified or otherwise qualified to perform. Now that's got lots of legal language in it, but the basic point is the teacher who is signing that contract is acknowledging they're not the superintendent. And because the teacher contract doesn't contain within it the language, you'll teach fourth grade and you'll do this, the contract is saying, hey, look, you're signing up to be a teacher under the authority of the superintendent of schools. That's what's going on here. When we sign the contract, we are agreeing to let God be God. The point is God says, I will transform you. I will forgive you. What we're bringing to the table is we're going to let him do that. We're going to acknowledge he's the superintendent, we're the teacher. He's the principal, we're the teacher. He has the right to give us whatever assignments he wants to give us in order for him to carry out his part of the contract. That's implicit in the language of, I will place my laws on their hearts. I will forgive them. That's why if you don't want to be forgiven, if you want to hold on to your guilt, if you want to beat yourself up for it, because listen, I've done that, it feels good. It feels good to feel like you're paying for your sins yourself. It feels good to say, no, I'm never going to forgive myself. I'm going to punish myself, and that way I'll feel better. If you want to do that, if you want to have God punish you for your sins, don't sign this contract. This contract says God is going to remember them no more. They're going to be gone. You're not going to have to pay for them. What we're agreeing to do is let him forgive us. We're agreeing to let him transform us. And if he's got to give us a certain assignment or reassignment or he's got to walk us through this, this is why the book of Hebrews talks about God's discipline. This is why the book of Hebrews talks about God's word. This is why the book of Hebrews talks about the community of faith. God is putting stuff in place to make sure he can fulfill the terms of the contract he signed up for. Our job is to say, you're the superintendent, I'm the teacher. You sign me the class you want me to teach? You reassign me. But even in that language, there was the sense of, look, no superintendent where the salt is going to assign a teacher to do something that they have no training. Look, God's not going to sign you up for stuff that's going to kill you. But the point is, what are we bringing to the table? We're agreeing to let God be God. That's the contract. Do you see it? Did I miss anything? Are there any statements that I'm not covering? Is there any fine print I'm skipping over with you? This is why I said it's important for you to see this for yourself. I didn't skip any verses. I didn't jump down. I didn't, I didn't cover up any, oh, by the way, and oh, it might be. This is the contract written here. I didn't write it. I didn't prepare this contract. I'm simply your lawyer explaining very clearly to you the terms of the contract. And they are these. God is promising to transform you and to forgive you. You are agreeing to let him. That's the contract. With that in mind, turn back to Hebrews 13. 
Let's just close out kind of the passage that we were in. When you accept the terms of the contract, you have peace with God. And it says, who through the blood of the eternal contract. Now, I probably should have mentioned this earlier. It's an eternal contract. It's not like a teacher contract where you have to sign a new one every summer or sign a new one every three or four years or whatever it may be. This is a covenant that you sign once or a contract that you sign once that is valid for eternity. That God will continue to forgive your sins. That God will continue to work to transform you. That we will continue to allow God to be God. It's a contract that we sign now that is permanent. It also brings with it the idea of eternal life. That's why it's an eternal contract. Is that when you sign this contract, you receive from God. Remember, he's our God. We're his people. We receive from him eternal life. That's why it's an eternal contract. And that's why Hebrews closes verse 21. May the God of peace equip you with every good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrews is saying, may God live up to his side of the contract. You see that? The contract was, I will transform you and I will forgive you. So the author of Hebrews closes his book by saying, may God do these things. May he work in us his will so that we become the kind of people who look like Jesus. So what are you supposed to do with this? If you're here and you're not yet a Christian, listen to me right now, please. In order for you to have a relationship with God, you have to sign a contract. It establishes a relationship. You sign a contract to buy a car. You sign a contract to purchase a house. You sign a contract to go to work for your employee. Contracts establish relationships. God is saying he wants to have a relationship with you. In order for it to be a genuine relationship, he's got a contract. He wants to spell out for you exactly what it is that's required of you and exactly what it is he's going to do. Now, Has everybody heard explicitly what the contract says? Raise your hand if you understand the terms of the contract. I will transform you. I will forgive you. You will let me. Is it clear? Does everybody understand those? If you are not yet a Christian and you don't want to be transformed and you don't want to be forgiven and you don't want to let God be gone, don't sign this contract. But, and here's where I got to stop being your lawyer for a second. I've explained very clearly the legal language here. I want to step out of the role of being a lawyer and I want to be your friend and tell you, you'd be an absolute fool not to sign this contract. This is the very best thing you could possibly do. You will never get another contract like this. There is nobody in all in existence that is ever going to write a contract that says to you, I will transform you and make you into a beautiful, wonderful person and I will take everything you've ever done, are doing or will do and remember it no more. I will never hold it against you. I will never bring it back up. I will be your God and you will be my people. I will love you and give you eternal life. Listen, if it sounds too good to be true, that's why he wrote it down because you might think you misheard him. I'm telling you as your friend, please sign this contract. I was going back through this this week and kind of thinking about this in, 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 in my own life. And I went back and I had a chance to sort of work with God as he kind of was showing me all the different things that he's done to transform me. All the different things that he has forgiven me for. And I'm telling you, this is the greatest thing in the history of mankind. 
anything good that's in my life has come because I signed this contract. I didn't do it. I look back at who I used to be and the stuff that was there and the junk that I should be, I should be held accountable for. And for God to say, no, 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 I don't remember that stuff. It's gone. And I'm making you into a new person. And listen, it didn't happen immediately, but it is happening. And I testify with God as my witness. He is living up to the provisions of the contract. And I just want to tell you, not as your lawyer, but as your friend, please sign this contract. Please, you've heard the terms. This is what God promises to do. There's no hidden language. There's no secret fees. That's the terms. God will transform you. God will forgive you. You will let him. Please, anything good that's in my life, anything good, has come because I signed that contract. Now, if you're here, and you are a Christian, meaning you actually consciously signed the contract, because again, you can say you're, like I could say I'm a teacher. That doesn't make me a teacher. I actually have to have a contract with the school board that says I'm a teacher. You can say you're a Christian. Anybody can say that. If you haven't signed this contract with God, you're not a Christian. But if you have, and you're not living up to the terms of the contract, meaning you've decided, I don't really want to do God's will anymore. I don't really want to let him assign me to a different classroom than I've been teaching in. I don't really want things to go. I don't really want him to transform me. I don't really want him to forgive me. I, don't re- I want to hold on to this stuff. I want to keep throwing it back up in other people's faces. I want to continue to try to pay for my own sins. If you've signed the contract and are living that way, you're going to experience a lack of peace because these are the terms of the contract. Because listen, God cannot be held in breach of contract. He has sworn he will do these things. If you have now decided not to let him do those things, you and he are now having a problem. And that's a breach of contract on your part, on my part. And what God is saying, look, do you remember what you signed up for? This is what you signed up for. This is what I'm promising to do. Let me do it. Let me transform you. Let me forgive you. And if you've already signed this contract, but you're not living up to its terms, hear the terms again. Let God be God. Let him be the superintendent. You and I will be the teachers. Let him do good for us. What he has planned for us is far better than anything we would have ever imagined on our own. The journey he has us on is far better than anything that we can go on. And God may have brought you here this morning to remind you of the terms of the contract so that you can rest in them. You can feel secure in them. God has sworn an oath. I'm going to transform you. I'm going to make you into a beautiful, spiritual, powerful person. And I'm going to take everything you ever did wrong, are doing wrong, or will do wrong, and throw it away and never remember it again. This brings us to the time of communion. If you're visiting here and you don't know what I'm talking about, in just a minute, I'm going to hand out, we're going to hand out a piece of bread and a cup. We call this communion. That's one thing to refer to it as. It's a form of covenant ceremony. Another way to put this is, this is stuff that goes with the contract. So if you're here and you're not yet a Christian... And you're saying to me, okay, well, I thought I was, or I'd started going to church, or I've done things that I thought made me a Christian, but I never signed any contracts. I don't remember. If you're here and you're not yet a Christian, how do you sign the contract? How do you actually sign a contract? 
when you have, when you receive this bread and this cup, if you want, if you agree, if you accept the terms, did everybody again, raise your hand. Did you, did you hear the terms of the contract clearly explained to you? If you accept those terms, take communion. That's your way of signing the contract. What you're essentially saying to God is, I accept. I've heard, I accept. If you went to the car dealer, you would just sign the piece of paper. Well, we're not, we have a piece of paper. You just, you do it this way. If as a Christian, you have accepted the terms of the contract, but you're living in breach of the contract, don't take communion yet. If you're willing to accept the terms, take communion. So if you're not a Christian and you don't want to sign this contract, this is the thing that we're doing to acknowledge the signing of the contract. Just let them pass you by. If you're a Christian and you've decided you're going to fight against the contract and fight against God, let them pass you by. But if you're here this morning, having heard the terms, you accept them. We're celebrating that in communion.